welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast. I'm your host, Nina Spears, the Baby Chick, and today I'm here with Dr. Annie Salzberg, the Senior Manager of Medical Engagement and Education at Cabrita USA. Each episode on Chick Chat, I chat with special guests where we dole out no-nonsense pregnancy and parenting advice. I've worked with hundreds of families during their pregnancies, births, and parenting journeys, and have condensed all that I've learned to bring you simple, practical, and immediate advice for preventing parenting conundrums. Today's episode is brought to you by Cabrita USA. Cabrita delivers nourishment and comfort to children and their parents through naturally easy to digest goat milk formula. They empower families with a new choice in formula feeding, one that marries the ideal of all natural and their rigor and safety of science. Cabrita is 100% woman run and led by moms. Their mission is to empower parents to nourish their children with confidence. They strive to add value to their community through their commitment to education, transparency, and supportive communication. Today, Annie and I are talking about what to look for when choosing baby formula. Annie previously worked at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine and held research positions at several hospitals, so she really knows her stuff. She's going to be sharing with us helpful tips and points that we need to consider when choosing our baby's formulas. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on Chick Chat. I'm here with Dr. Annie Salzberg, and we're here to chat about all things baby formula. And thank you so much for joining me today, Annie. Thanks so much for having me, Nina. It's so fun to be able to chat with you today. Oh, same here. Oh my gosh. I have so many questions that I'm sure our listeners do too, because I feel like when it comes to baby formula, we just get what people tell us to get, but we don't know anything else. (laughs) So we can't wait to kind of dig in deeper and find out what we really need to know about choosing our baby's formula. So we do know that when it comes to feeding our babies, everyone agrees that breast milk should always be the first choice. But sometimes breastfeeding just isn't in the cards and you may have to supplement with formula or make the switch entirely. And when it's time to pick your baby's formula, choosing the right one for your baby can be overwhelming. Would you agree, Annie? Absolutely. You know, I know that there is such an emphasis as there should be on breastfeeding as a first choice. And, you know, it's something that obviously I, I endorse wholeheartedly. And again, in our work at Rita, we, we support and just, you know, obviously encourage. And we also know that that's not the reality for a lot of families. And so unfortunately, there's a bit of tension there. I know I can speak for myself personally. I, I, I like to think there shouldn't be any tension, but obviously there's this idea that Rest is best. And so a lot of folks don't end up chatting about formula options in this really open way and may unfortunately feel some guilt or shame if they either are not able to breastfeed or choose not to breastfeed. And of course, again, I hope that every parent who wants and is able to breastfeed or wants to breastfeed gets the support that she desires. And I also believe in empowering families with information. So somehow I found myself talking a lot about formula over the last few years. And um, the more I talk about it and the more positive responses and feedback I get, the more excited I am to continue to chat about it. Again, not in any way, shape or form, not with zero desire to convince somebody to formula feed, simply with the desire to offer information for folks who, again, as I said, are either choosing to formula feed or are making a switch because uh, breastfeeding hasn't worked it for them and really empower them with the information that they want. Because I know as a mom myself, going into that aisle in the grocery store or pharmacy can be really overwhelming. And I know for a lot of families, it can be really anxiety provoking. 
I'm really happy you just brought that up, though, because I think it's so important to always start from that place of, you know, we're trying to empower people with information and really support folks where they are. Absolutely. Yeah, we're not trying to make people do the switch if it's unnecessary. I had my son and after six months of exclusive breastfeeding, everything was going great. But then all of a sudden he just was almost kind of like self-weaning and I wasn't producing enough and I had to figure out formula. And it really is so overwhelming and heart-wrenching when you have these goals and letting moms know that, you know, it's not the end of the world. It's okay. But figuring out which are the best options for parents and what we should be looking for, because you're so right. When I went down that aisle to pick out my son's first formula, I was like, okay, I do know some of the things that I need to look for, but I need to talk to the experts and you guys really know your stuff. So we're just excited to chat with you about what we should be looking for when choosing our, our formula. So what are the things that parents need to look for when keeping in mind when choosing formula for their baby? Sure. So I think, you know, it probably goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways. You know, there's not one perfect formula for every baby. I mean, sorry, there is a, a, a great choice for your baby and the other person's baby who's listening to this podcast, and the other woman's baby who's listening to this podcast, but there's not like one universal perfect formula. I think it just makes sense. Every, every child's needs are, are slightly different. And so, you know, what works well for you and your family may not be the right fit for someone else's family. So I think we always just need to start there. So I'm not going to say that there's one right choice for everyone. I also want to say that what I'm going to be talking about with you right now is for the most part, formulas for for children who are, you know, by and large, really healthy. There's certainly a lot of formulas available out there for children with various conditions or diagnoses. Perhaps they have allergies or some metabolic diseases, et cetera. So we can get into those if you're interested. But when I'm talking about what to look for when choosing formula, I'm, I'm talking about children who don't have any specific needs beyond, you know, basic nutrition and growth that is obviously critical. So I want to also just say that, you know, I think that the first thing that I like to look for which is sort of aside from the ingredients. And of course, this is part of the core values that we have at Cabrita is, you know, really looking for a company that's going to be open and transparent about how they share their information and is able to give that to you. So, I mean, again, we can jump right into the ingredients, but I I do also want to say that as a consumer, families should feel like they can reach out to their formula manufacturer and ask the questions. And if something's unclear and if they don't understand an ingredient, you want to feel like you have the power and the ability to inquire and that you'll get a response. So the very first thing I want people to know is that they should feel as though they're purchasing formula from a company that is responsive and transparent about how they make their formula and you know the ingredients that they put in there. But I'll park that and I'll say, you know, once you feel good about the company that you're purchasing your formula from, you know, the very first thing you want to look at is the ingredients list. And of course, you know, I know for myself as an adult, my kids are older now, but I am in the pretty strong habit of like looking at the labels of everything that we buy. And so I find that that is happening for a lot of families when they buy formula. So they turn the can around and they look at the ingredients. And the first thing they see is this like exceptionally long ingredients list and their eyes kind of go cross-eyed and they're thinking, oh my goodness, like why are there so many ingredients in my baby's formula? You know, I like to have just like really simple foods and I don't like to have a lot of stuff that I don't know that's going into my body. So maybe I shouldn't want that for my baby. So the first thing that you want to make sure is that you're kind of decoding and understanding a little bit about what all those ingredients do. So I always like to start by reminding families that, you know, and this is again, 
probably self-evident if, if folks really stop and think about it, but a lot of people don't stop and really think about it when they're in that aisle and when it's like midnight and you're like looking for your baby formula, is that the purpose of formula is to model the nutritional composition of breast milk. Now, of course, as we said earlier, breast milk is that gold standard. It's dynamic. It's really special. It's kind of custom-made for the baby it's intended to serve. So nothing can do that, right? But formula is kind of aspirational that way. It tries to be like that, but, but we, know it, we know it's not. But you need to sort of, when you're decoding the ingredients in your formula, you need to kind of parcel it out and understand what each of those ingredients, like what part of breast milk those ingredients are meant to model. So I usually like to start with the first ingredient that you'll see in a lot of formulas, which is the carbohydrate. So the first thing I like to look for for most healthy babies in a formula is lactose as the main carbohydrate source. So again, I know it's been trendy for many years that people avoid carbs and we think of carbs as bad, but babies need carbs. So lactose is the milk sugar that's found in breast milk. Most healthy babies are, are sort of born with the innate ability to digest it. So when we think of lactose intolerance, this is considered to be relatively uncommon before two or three years of age. That's according to the American Academy of Pediatrics. So again, it's not to say that, you know, after let's say your, your little one has a stomach flu or a tummy bug that they may get like a, what they call it, transient or temporary lactose intolerance, right? Like when you, when you're, 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 the lining of your, of your intestines are irritated, your ability to digest lactose can decrease, but it'll bounce back. So again, under two or three years of age, most infants have this ability to digest it because we know it's the main source of carbs in breast milk. So I favor lactose as that main carb. And for most babies, prefer not to see those refined sugars that unfortunately have crept into a lot of formulas. And when I say refined sugars, I'm talking about those corn syrup solids, glucose syrup solids, even like maltodextrin. Which is wild that that gets into baby's formula. It is. It sugars. is. Wow. Yeah. But again, recall that carbs are really important. They're, they're kind of this ready energy source. They make up almost half the calories in breast milk, lactose does. So we know that they need to be a big part of formula if we're trying to model breast milk, as we were talking about earlier. So, you know, companies have a choice. And the truth is, you know, infant formula is quite regulated in the United States by the FDA. So there's only certain carbohydrate sources that are approved for use. Of course, lactose is one of them. And then you have these other refined carbs that are also approved. Again, I see, I've seen a really positive trend with a lot of formulas in the last few years. I think consumers are just really not liking those refined sugars. And so a lot of formula manufacturers are starting to kind of swing back a little bit to including lactose. Lactose is a more expensive ingredient than those some of those refined sugars. So again, you might see lactose cut, quote unquote, like I'm saying cut, but you know, less lactose and you may see lactose coupled with a different type of sugar source in a formula that might reduce the price point of it. And again, if the formula is marketed for babies as like a sensitive product, they may reduce the lactose with this idea that maybe the lactose might be hard for some little ones to digest and therefore it would be replaced with an alternate carb source. You couldn't just remove lactose and not put anything else in, right? You can't have a low, a low carb formula for an infant. You really need to give those babies those important energy, that important energy source. So again, we want it to be lactose, but if for some reason, whether it's a cost-saving measure or whether it's because the product is, as I said, meant to be, you know, more sensitive, you know, and if you remove lactose, then you have to replace it with something. So, you know, when parents are looking at a formula, probably the first thing you want to do is identify the carb source. And if you've been told by your healthcare provider that your baby 
has no issues with lactose, there's really no reason to be choosing a low lactose formula. Your baby should have lactose as its primary carb. We know there's all these other secondary benefits or tertiary benefits to lactose. Not only is it the source that's found in breast milk, it's also, we know it helps to absorb calcium. And there's some really neat data that's showing or research that's showing us that it supports the gut microbiome. So, you know, nature is really intelligent and it has all these parts of it that, you know, they don't just do one thing. It's not just, just a source of energy. It has all these other secondary and tertiary benefits. So, so yeah, the first thing folks want to look for is a carbohydrate source that's right for their little one. And I'm going to say for most healthy babies, that's going to be lactose. Yeah, that's so fascinating when you really turn the label. I feel like most people don't even know what they're looking at, honestly, when they flip that label and try to really dive deeper into what they're actually going to be feeding their babies. So breaking that down and explaining the importance of that carbohydrate and lactose and how it is more expensive. And that's why, you know, maybe some other, I mean, I, I'm wondering, is that a big reason why some formula manufacturers probably don't include that much lactose just to make sure that they hit a certain price point or, you know? Yeah, it is absolutely possible. The other piece to recall is that some specialty formulas, like for example, a formula that's made for babies with cow milk allergy will not have lactose in it. The reason it won't have lactose in it is because lactose in formula comes from cow milk. And, you know, if your baby has a cow milk allergy you want to make sure that little one is not being exposed to any cow milk proteins. And so lactose, in theory, could have some residual proteins on it. And so when you look at, you know, I don't think I want to do any brand names on our conversation today, but if you look at, if you look at like a hypoallergenic formula and if you turn it around, you'll see corn syrup solids or you'll see sucrose, or you'll see maltodextrin, or you know, you'll see those types of refined sugars. And again, as a label reader, you might sort of be like, oh, oh my goodness, like how could anyone, why would they give this to their baby? But again, always remember, who is this product intended for? Okay, this is a hypoallergenic formula. This is designed for a baby who could have a very serious reaction to cow milk proteins. Okay, so therefore there are no proteins from cow milk in this formula. This is guaranteed to be safe for a little one with this diagnosis. Okay, so now this, this is a formula that's going to be free of lactose, of course, right? So then now we have to use a different carb source for this little one. So it's like all the soy formulas, for example, they will not have lactose because those formulas are really specialty formulas. So I would say, you know, to your point, it is probably for many companies at one part cost saving, probably realistically for some of the formulas, uh, one part marketing, right? It, does your baby have a quote unquote lactose sensitivity, you know, so then they, they cut it that way. And then the third would be, is this product a medical product for a baby who really can't have lactose? And again, I, you know, as you said, it's, it's really, it can be tricky understanding it, but that's why I always say, tell people like, think of it truly like a formula, like look at all the individual parts that's in that ingredient list and add it all up, right? It's going to be the same with every, everyone is going to be the same. Every formula, if there's going to have a carb source, identify it. Great. If you're not sure, call the company. <laughs> and, uh, is, you know, is your maltodextrin a carb source? Is it a carrier? Like, what is it doing in there? And they should hopefully be able to tell you. And give you that peace of mind. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's going to be for almost every formula is going to be probably the first or the second ingredient. As I said, it's, it's going to give a lot of calories because the babies need that. So it should be right up there at the top of the list. And then the second ingredient that you're going to see in most formulas is what we call like the protein source or the protein base. And for almost all the formulas in the United States, that's going to be some type of cow milk powder. Of course, if it's a soy formula, it's going to be some sort of soy protein. And then obviously in the case of Cabrita, it's going to be goat milk. 
powder. And so these powders, in the case of like goat and cow, these are going to deliver protein. But of course, there's going to be some lactose in there as well, right? There's some natural lactose that occurs in both goat milk and cow milk. So it's going to also be a source of that carbohydrate a little bit, but it's not going to deliver enough carbohydrates for the baby. That's why you have to add more. Okay. So can you tell our listeners a little bit more about the difference with cow milk and soy and goat milk? Because obviously Cabrita is doing goat milk. And when I found you guys and did some research and I even tasted your formula that you guys um, were giving out little shots at one place and I tasted it and I was like, this is actually pretty good. I want parents to know the difference between why are you choosing cow's milk or now goat's milk or soy and all the difference of that. So then they have a better understanding of what they're picking up. Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks. So, you know, cow milk has been the the go-to standard for for many, 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 many decades. I think we're we're over 50 decades. I think the first formula that I remember hearing about was in like the late 1800s, early 1900s. So there's a, a pretty nice long tradition of using cow milk as a basis for infant formula um, for a long time in the United States. And uh, in part, that's because it was so readily available. You know, people were looking for uh, a breast milk substitute to to help babies that either weren't breastfeeding or couldn't breastfeed and, and to keep them alive. So it was really a, a necessity. And so, you know, cow milk, uh, maybe I'll st- start here and say both both cow and goat milk contain different types of proteins. When you look at them, they both contain casein and they both contain whey. I'm assuming many of your listeners have heard of have heard of whey and casein proteins. If you think of the children's nursery rhyme, like little Miss Muffet sat on a tuffet eating her curds and whey, you can imagine the curds were uh, obviously are this, this curdled part of the milk and then the whey is that liquid part. So when you drink cow milk or goat milk um, and the milk hits the, the acidic environment of your stomach, it, it, makes, it forms curds. And, and that whey part of the milk, whether it's cow or goat, remains liquid. So imagine a little tiny tummy or even an adult tummy drinking cow and goat milk. And I would say the, this, the take-home message between cow and goat is that goat milk casings form smaller curds. They form softer curds and looser curds. So they, they almost have like an airy spacey, kind of almost like cotton candy quality to them, whereas the curds that are formed by cow milk caseins tend to be larger and firmer and denser. So they're these kind of like heavy, heavy curds, for lack of a better, they're, they're, yeah. they're, heavy. they're big and they're heavy, whereas, whereas, and I've seen them under like an electron microscope. It's really neat to see the difference. Like I said, goat milk curds tend to look a little bit more like clouds. They look sort of, there's more space in them. And so, you know, probably the the biggest reason that consumers or families tell us that they decide to make the switch to goat milk is because they're looking for something that's going to be really gentle for their little ones. And so often they will start with kind of a routine cow milk formula and they perceive that their little one's having some type of tummy trouble. So whether their little one becomes constipated, whether their little one gets gassy, is a little bloated, maybe for some kids also they might get diarrhea. Some kids spit up frequently after they eat. So families will perceive that, you know, there could be something going on. And 
So they'll start to think, okay, what could be contributing to it? And then if they believe that it is the formula, if they believe that it's diet related, and we always encourage folks to work with their healthcare providers, of course, and they decide to go to something that's going to be a little bit gentler. And we've had many, many families tell us that making the switch has really been a game changer for their little one um, in terms of creating more, more ease and the children seem to respond really well to it. So I would say currently, because we're, we're still really relatively new in the U.S. market, the truth is most people are switching to us. So we're not necessarily a start. We're sort of like not considered routine. You know, our hope is that with time, families will sort of permeate the culture and it'll sort of become like, oh, well, why start with something that could create problems? Maybe it's maybe start with something that's gentlest from the beginning. We know that a lot of the cow milk formula manufacturers, they try to make their products gentler and easier to digest. And the way they do that is by hydrolyzing, which is just a fancy way of saying breaking down, breaking down their proteins. So you know that all the major manufacturers, they have these, you know, comfort or these gentle or these fussy baby formulations where they take the proteins and they kind of partly break them down, right? So they're already partly broken down. And what that does in the tummy, it makes these smaller curds. So, you know, what we are, are sort of, um, we always sort of say with a smile is, you know, we don't have to do that to goat milk. Goat milk already forms this really small, gentle curd. We don't need to, you know, process it and hydrolyze it to make it sort of innately or naturally easy to digest, so I would say that's like the big difference. And you had mentioned soy earlier. And I would say that, you know, so soy is not considered really routine. The American Academy of Pediatrics really doesn't recommend soy before six months of age. And for babies with a cow milk allergy, you know, an ex- what's called an extensively hydrolyzed formula, which are those hypoallergenic formulas, are really the, the first choice. It's not really soy formula. So most babies will start an extensively hydrolyzed formula if they've been diagnosed with an allergy. Some of them may go to soy. Of course, some families, whether they're vegan or have some personal feelings around dairy, they, they may go to a soy formula, but it's not considered really a, a routine first choice formula anymore. Okay, so Annie, if so, if a child has been diagnosed with some type of allergy to their either breast milk or the previous formula that they had, would their pediatrician or someone else direct them to Cabrita? Would that be another potential option? So I would say it's important for people to know that if they have been diagnosed with a cow milk protein allergy, then there's a chance that the child will also react to the proteins in goat milk. So if you think of like a Venn diagram where, you know, with goat milk and cow milk, and then there's overlap in the middle. So goat milk has some of its own unique proteins and cow milk has some of its own unique proteins, and then they share some proteins in common. So, you know, there is a risk. And so we actually say quite clearly that if your child has been diagnosed with camel protein allergy, then, then do not use our product. I mean, of course, if you've been directed by a healthcare provider, we always, that is between yourself and a healthcare provider. And they obviously um, have have additional insights into an individual situation. But you know, we, we say just to really be really safe that goat milk is not suitable for kids with diagnosed cow milk allergy, not to make it complicated or, or more complex. But I would say that there is a, there's a range of symptoms out there. Of course, on the very serious end, there would be like anaphylaxis and respiratory symptoms. And then on the kind of less, less or more mild side of things, there would be, you know, mild eczema or some other more mild symptoms. So again, some healthcare providers we are aware have made the recommendation for children with the mild symptoms. But as a general rule of thumb, we just try to play it really safe. And we say, if you've been diagnosed, then please use a specialty formula as directed by your healthcare provider. And I was going to say, as a postpartum doula, I have been... 
I mean, I've read tons of books. I've uh, had so much training on breastfeeding support. And when it comes to bottle feeding and choosing a formula, really, we're just directed to say, talk to your pediatrician when you are choosing a formula. We're not supposed to be recommending a certain brand or whatnot. But I've found that whenever I talk to pediatricians about that, they're not too familiar with all of the options either. And this is why I wanted to talk to you guys, because I really, when researching your company and learning more about the whole process of this, like, and today our talk of like what parents need to be considering when choosing their baby formula, like, I guess I just want to know what are some things that you hope that parents discover when they're, they're doing their research on, on a formula that, that they should pick? I hope that parents, you know, and not to keep beating this drum, but I hope that parents feel maybe I've already used the word empowered, but, but sort of more comfortable with what they're seeing on the label. Again, I, I know that there's this, and again, as a parent, I, I totally understand it. There's a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction of, oh, like, why is, why is there sunflower oil in my baby's formula? Or why is there, you know, things I can't pronounce? So I, I just, I really encourage folks to, you know, take a little bit of time to, to understand it and not, you know, there's also, as unfortunately we've seen in, in many areas of parenting, you know, some, there's information out there that is a little bit more I'm going to use the word inflammatory, but just more because it's not really evidence-based. It's sort of very prescriptive. It says, you know, never, you know, this should never be in your baby formula. And again, I'm always very reluctant to to be overly prescriptive with things because I again I do think that you know every baby is so different and and their needs are a little bit different. So I just want parents to not be scared <laughs> to break it down to know that there's there's going to be um, even if you see a new ingredient you've never seen before. Remember, everything is functional. Formula manufacturers obviously have to be very precise and specific with what they're putting in there. Nothing is in there just sort of, you know, willy-nilly, to use an expression I feel like that my grandfather used to use. But, you know, everything has a purpose. And 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 my hope is that by understanding the function um, will sort of make people feel a little bit more comfortable. And, and again, maybe that just, just to even know whether or not it's, it's a good choice for them. And I would agree, going back to what you said earlier, you know, I've, I've worked over the last five years with a, with a number of pediatricians. I've kind of traveled all across the United States attending various pediatric conferences and events. And, you know, I've met so many wonderful, wonderful, well-intentioned healthcare providers who know a lot about how to keep babies healthy. And they know about how many calories per ounce is healthy. And they know how many what the average number of feeds per day should be. And they know, you know, all these little tips and tricks. And then they also don't know how to answer a parent when the parent says, what is this doing in my baby's formula, (laughs) right? They don't really speak parent talk that way. They don't always know how to answer the parent's concerns. So it's interesting to see, you know, they, they don't have that kind of ingredient depth knowledge that I think a lot of parents are looking for. Yeah. So what I've learned definitely from our talk thus far and I just want to kind of recap with our listeners. So when really choosing a formula, there's the things that we should look for are the ingredients and making sure that the company is transparent, we can communicate with them. And you had talked about making sure, you know, when looking at a carbohydrate that it's lactose preferably, (laughs) and that's being the primary carbohydrate. And then also making sure that the protein is something that's easy to digest. So, and we talked about the difference with cow's milk and goat's milk, that goat's milk protein is just naturally easy to digest. And when we were talking about the curds, they're smaller, softer, and looser in the gut compared to the cow milk protein. So considering that if maybe baby is having some tummy issues and that the fat 
from goat's milk really mimics the fats in breast milk. So it makes it like the most similar to breast milk. Am I understanding this all correctly thus far? I think your synopsis is bang on. It's wonderful. <laughs> we haven't we haven't really gotten into fats yet, so we can talk about fats next. Because fats is a whole other can of worms we can get into because it does contribute to some of the length on the ingredients list. So that's a really interesting piece. If you want, if you want, I can kind of speak a little bit to that. Yeah, because that's what I was gathering. That goat's milk. The reason why you guys have chosen that is it is what mimics the well. It's one easiest on tummies, but it also mimics the closest to breast milk, which I was fascinated by. Yeah. So, you know, there are some really interesting parts to goat milk fat. Goat milk is uh, naturally rich in what we call these like short and medium chain fats, which are really easy to digest. So there's all these great attributes associated with goat milk fat. Here's the, the thing though. We don't actually have goat milk fat in our formula, which may be a bit shocking to people I know. And I will say though, if you look at North American formulas, they do not contain animal fat. So this will be different from some of the formulas that folks will find in Europe, for example, not every formula. If you pull a sort of standard cow milk formula off the shelf, you will see that it also does not have any cow milk fat. So sort of the standard in North America is to be free of animal fat. Of course, just like carbs, babies need fat. Fat is not the enemy. Fat is like so important for babies. (laughs) It's like so helpful for the absorption of their fat soluble vitamins. It's also a really another really important source of calories for babies. So if you're not going to give animal fat, you need to then supply fats another way. And this is where understanding the label becomes even more important because as I said, you're going to probably see carbs near the top of the list. Then you're going to see the protein source. We didn't really talk about whey. We can kind of circle back on that a little bit after if you'd like. You'll often see whey in a lot of the formulas. And then you're going to see the fat blend. Why I say fat blend is because breast milk fats, and stop me at any point if this is sort of, if this is getting a little too busy, but if you think of just like I was talking about protein and how, you know, there's different kinds of proteins. It's like there's groups of protein with the whey and the casein. Breast milk fat is not one one thing, for lack of a better word. It's actually made up of a whole bunch of different what are called fatty acids. So you've got oleic acid in breast milk and palmitic acid and linoleic acid and caprylic acid and myristic acid. So there's all these different fatty acids that make up breast milk fat. And so the goal of formula is to offer fats that kind of look from a composition perspective kind of similar to the fats in breast milk. So, you know, for example, everyone, well, I shouldn't say everybody, maybe you don't, but a lot of people are crazy about coconut oil. Coconut oil is like, it, it's the cure all, right? Yeah. It, it, that and breast milk cure everything. everything. That's right. <laughs> exactly. And I love coconut oil too. Now, coconut oil has some really interesting fatty acids in it. It's got a lot of lauric acid in it, it's got caprylic acid and stearic. So, it's got these what are called medium chain fatty acids. If you were to make a quote unquote homemade formula and you were like, I need a really healthy fat. Okay, well, let's use coconut. That's fine. But remember, breast milk is not just caprylic and lauric acid. It's got all these other fats in it. So, you know, the formula manufacturers have to use a blend of plant-based oils to achieve the composition that you would typically find in breast milk. Does that make sense? Like they have to combine coconut oil, which would deliver a certain kind of profile with, for example, sunflower oil, which would deliver more long chain fats, along with, for example, palm oil, which we can talk about, which can be quite contentious, which delivers obviously palmitic acid, etc. and so on. So every company kind of has their own, what I'd call fat blend. So when parents are looking at an ingredients list, what you'll notice is 
usually three, sometimes four oils. They're all going to be plant-based. And what they're doing in your baby's formula is that they're supplying pretty valuable fats. And the reason why there's more than one is because what they're trying to do is get that composition that you would typically found in breast milk fat. And just one oil or even two oils alone is not going to get you there. Okay. That's fascinating. A lot of it goes over my head, but it, it's really interesting to, to look at. So what what is it that we should be looking for whenever we're looking for the fats? Like what are some of the words that, that parents should look for? So this is, you know, I bring a strong bias in favor of the fat that we use in Cabrita. So I'll just disclose that right up front. So, you know, I think that the truth is I would, if you, you know, if I had to say, if anyone was just looking at the aisle, you know, the very first thing, as I was saying earlier, would look for the carb source. You know, you, you want to try to choose a formula that's free of refined sugars for your baby. I think that really is intuitive for a lot of parents. Obviously, the protein source, you know, you want something that's going to be gentle. You know, in my mind, that's, you know, a goat milk-based formula. When it gets to the fat source, it becomes a little trickier. There's just not going to be that many options. And the options that you're going to see, it's going to be like, you'll see one formula, it'll have like three oils. And then you'll go to the next one, it'll have two of the same and one different one. And I would say the reality is that the differences are fairly small. The biggest difference is, you know, with the Cabrita fat blend that we use. And again, I don't want to get too technical. So what I will say is that we use a very special blend that not only matches like the what I was saying earlier, that composition of the fats and breast milk, but also the structure. It's like if you imagine a fork... And if you imagine like the three tines on a fork, like one, two, three, like a small fork with just three points on it. And if you imagine each of those tines on the fork is a fatty acid and they actually are in a certain order. And so the type of fat that we have has the same order of fats as breast milk, that what's called a triglyceride. So we're in the same sort of order as the triglycerides in breast milk. And that's pretty unique in the North American market. It's actually pretty common like in Brazil, in Mexico, in Europe. Somehow it's just not as common uh, in the U.S. Only to my knowledge, one other formula has it. So um, if you can look for a formula that has, and I'll just tell you what's on our label, which is, okay, ready? It's got a lot yeah. of a technical <laughs> sounding name. It's, uh, it's high 2 palmitic acid. The much more friendly name is beta palmitate. So if your listeners are really interested in science, if they want to geek out on it, they can Google, you know, benefits, beta palmitate in baby formula. And, uh, and you'll see all this really good stuff that comes up. Basically, it can help absorb calcium and fat. It makes the baby's poops less hard. So there's all these really nice side benefits to having a, um, a fat blend with beta palmitate. And like I said, we're not only are we one of the only formulas that has goat milk, we're, we're really one of the only formulas that has this 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 really nice blend. So to me, it's a real bonus. That's awesome. So you just said something about, you know, making baby's poops less firm, that sort of thing. That immediately makes me think of the old myth of, you know, iron in baby's formula would would make baby constipated and that sort of thing. So tell me about the different things that are added into to formulas. So like, I, I know that omega-3 fatty acids and iron and things like that. Tell me what your thoughts are on all of that. Sure. So as I was saying earlier, the FDA has pretty, you know, strict 
guidelines for infant formula manufacturers about what can and cannot go in formula. So when it comes to what we call micronutrients, so those are all the vitamins and minerals, like you were talking about iron. So this does not apply to, for example, DHA. I'll talk about that after, or what you were saying, the omega-3s. But when it comes to all those minerals like iron and copper and magnesium and calcium, etc., and then all of those vitamins like vitamin A and all the B vitamins and vitamin D and E, etc., you know, a manufacturer can't just sort of put what they want to put in there. There's like maximums and minimums that they have to adhere to. So again, when you're looking at that ingredients list and it's starting to look really long, you have to remember that a lot of those funny sounding words and names that you don't recognize are kind of like the technical names for these these vitamins and minerals. You know, like a word like cyanocobalamin really it translates to B12. And that's just like the legal name of the ingredient <laughs> or like uh, pyridoxine is like B6, et cetera. So, you know, if someone, if a manufacturer chooses and wants to market their product as infant formula, they really in the United States have no, they have no choice if they choose to market their product as infant formula. It has to have all those extra micronutrients. And of course, we know those micronutrients are there too to support baby's growth and development. Obviously, until about four to six months of age, this is going to be their sole source of nutrition if, if baby is not breastfeeding, of course. So it really has to be the main supply of other nutrition, macro and micronutrients, right? When it comes to things like iron, as you said, there are some myths about what, what is right for baby. You know, anecdotally, we, you know, I've heard it from parents before, you know, pediatricians that I've connected with swear that, you know, iron would not cause that. I've, I've delved into the research. I have not seen anything compelling to show that it does. Although, again, I I know parents say that they find that could it be the iron in their formula? You know, I guess I'm inclined to think that there could be something else that's contributing. It's probably quite hard to tease out one nutrient that could be making that happen. In my mind, it could be the protein source, of course, that's, you know, if it's cow milk formula that's contributing to like those tougher, firmer curds, it's often very hard to, to say for sure, of course. So again, as it, when it comes to infant formula, there's going to be all of these micronutrients that are non-negotiables. They're going to be in there, or if they're not in there, they're not infant They can't be infant formula. But as you pointed out, things like omega-3 fatty acids, there's all these pieces of formula that I call optional extras, and they almost sort of form the basis of a lot of marketing claims by various manufacturers. So those, these optional extras includes things like omega-3 fatty acids, which, which would be like DHA and ARA. It includes pre and probiotics. So if you're looking for prebiotics, it could include stuff like GOS, GOS and FOS, that's F-O-S. Obviously, probiotics are very popular now and they have made their way into a few different formulas. There's also things like, what are other, other optional extras? MFGM and then like lactoferrin and all these other sort of what often people refer to as like designer ingredients. And, you know, again, for me, it often comes back to Oh, sorry, the other one that I forgot, those those uh, HMOs, those human milk oligosaccharides. Of course, the list is probably going to continue to grow as manufacturers continue to do research and as they continue to look for ways to kind of differentiate themselves in an already very crowded aisle. I think the jury, truthfully, is still out on a lot of these things. I just don't think there's been enough time and research onto them to say for sure if they're going to actually support baby outcomes. Of course, we, we know that some of these ingredients have been around for a while and they are supported. You mentioned the omega-3s and there is some good 
research and evidence that shows that because brain growth is so rapid in the first few years of life that, you know, it's important for babies to get enough DHA and ARA to support their brain development and neurodevelopment and their vision health, for example. So I know a lot of pediatricians are keen to recommend a formula with added DHA. But as we kind of mentioned earlier, all of these optional extras, all these additional ingredients come with an added price. And so that may not be available for all families. So, which is why also the FDA does not make them mandatory. Right. We know that babies, you know, the most important thing is that babies grow and, you know, stay on their growth curves. That's the the primary goal. And then of course, all these other pieces are sort of added on. Okay. So you guys have just through going on your website and reading more about you, reading the amazing Cabrita moms out there that are talking about their experience and just learning more about your formula as well as, you know, how to choose the best formula for your baby. If someone is interested in checking out Cabrita, where could they go? And where, like, rather than just on your website, obviously that's a great <laughs> first stop going to cabritausa.com. But where can they learn more about your your product, find your product and and potentially try it out? Sure. So as you said, cabritausa.com is a great resource. It's kind of the hub for everything for us. There, as you mentioned, you will see, in addition to a lot of product information, you can easily link to our Real Mom Stories, which are our blogs and sort of feature articles on families who have made the switch to Cabrita and have found that it's the right product for their family. So I always encourage people to check those out. You'll also find on our website a link to our free trial offer. So for families who who want to give Cabrita a try, we are making a free 14 ounce, so it's 400 gram tin of our product available. It comes along with a coupon and families just need to pay the shipping and handling. So it's a really, really wonderful opportunity to try to try the product at very, very nominal cost. The other place to follow us, of course, is on social. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Hello Cabrita. And it's just a great place also to follow along on the journey. We often feature many of our Cabrita families there. You can follow the hashtag on Insta, hashtag Cabrita Kid. We often will post super adorable kids, you know, drinking their Cabrita, just loving it and wanting more because they seem to just love the taste of it so much. So yeah, we always encourage people to reach out there and they can, uh, we're really responsive also by email or via DM. So people want to connect with our team, they are very welcome to do so. Awesome. And what a great offer. So we're definitely going to have to include a link for you guys who are listening into our description. So that way, if you're interested in trying this out with your little one, you know, you can just click on and get a, a sample. That's amazing. So, oh my gosh, Annie, all of this was so helpful and I learned a lot. Is there anything that you just want to end with or any final thoughts that you would like our listeners to know about? Well, again, Nina, thank you so much for the opportunity to connect and chat. I feel, hopefully, I think (laughs) I'm really passionate about this topic. And, you know, as a mom, I know some of my darkest hours as a parent was feeling like I didn't know which direction to go as a new mom. So, you know, again, I just want people to know that there's resources out there. And if they're not getting the information they need from their parent support group or their doctors, that there's other places that they can go, they should reach out. And, you know, hopefully they will find the information to make them feel like they're doing the great job that I'm sure they are all doing. Because I know as a mom, we we just want to do our best. <laughs> we just really do. So, you know, thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to hopefully share some information that might help somebody along the way. 
Definitely. I learned a ton and now I know even more so what to really look for when I'm turning those cans around to see what is it that I'm really feeding my little ones. So I hope you guys who are listening feel the exact same way. This has been just awesome. So thank you everyone for joining us for this week's episode. I just want you to know that if you have any questions, we're going to be posting this on social media. You just let us know and we'll be sure to answer as soon as we possibly can. Be sure to subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Baby Chick on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and of course our website, www.baby-chick.com. Thanks guys. Talk to you later. Bye.